Welcome to the Primary Source Podcast. My name is Tom Bober, a school librarian in the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. This podcast is here to explore how primary sources can be used in K-12 libraries and classrooms. We'll dig into resources and teaching strategies, talk to educators who are utilizing primary sources, and supporters of educators who curate these incredible items and use them in their work. I am really glad to be back with you on this episode. It has been a while since I've been able to post something up, and I've had all kinds of other issues going that have kind of slowed me down from being able to spend time on this podcast. I'm happy to share that. I'm hoping to have a few episodes coming up in the next couple of months. Today, we have an interview with my friend Barry Wittenstein. He has a new book out called The Day the River Caught Fire, How the Cuyahoga River Exploded and Ignited the Earth Day Movement. The book is illustrated by Jesse Hartland and is a great book that incorporates the use of primary sources in its research and gives the opportunity to incorporate them into the classroom use of this book as well. Barry and I had a great talk about the book, as well as the golden age of nonfiction picture books and how research is maybe a little bit easier because of primary sources being digitally available so much more now than they have been ever before. I had a great conversation with him. I hope you enjoy it. All right, friends, we are here with Barry Wittenstein. Barry, we, uh, we've already started our conversation, and we had realized we better start recording because we've, we were delving into some great pieces of this book, which is The Day the River Caught Fire, how the... Now, Barry, pronounce the name of this river for me. Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga. I was going to get it right. How the Cuyahoga River exploded and ignited the Earth Day movement. Barry, thanks for joining us on the yeah. Primary Source Podcast. Sure. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to have you here and excited to talk about the book. Um, let's just start out for someone who hasn't seen this book yet. It just came out uh, just a, a couple weeks ago. Can you tell us a little bit about this picture book, The Day the River Caught Fire? Well, um, in 1969, uh, a lot of rivers uh, in the country uh, were polluted. Industrial waste was just being dumped into the rivers. There was no EPA. There's no Clean Water Act, nothing. And um, this river had caught fire, I, don't, I forget the number of times, but like 15 times or so. Uh, the big one in 1952. And so in this day, on this day in 1969, uh, a train uh, uh, rolling over uh, a tracks, over the tracks near the river, sparks flew uh, from the train's wheels and uh, went into the water, which was more than water. It was uh, oil and gross things, and the river uh, caught fire. It was not an unusual event in the history of the Cuyahoga, uh, nor in the history of Cleveland. And, um, but the times were such that uh, this, quote-unquote, ignited a lot of interest uh, in uh, the environmental cause. Um, the mayor, uh, Mayor Stokes, uh, 
at a press conference on the side of the river the day after and uh, got a lot of press for it. Uh, the uh, story was picked up by national media and uh, Mayor Stokes' brother Lewis uh, was in the House of Representatives in Congress and uh, he helped um, uh, the funding for uh, the Army Corps of Engineers to, to study the river. Uh, eventually, um, a year later, uh, was Earth Day. And it, it was just kind of an intersection of, um, of, the, environment of the environment of the times uh, and the, um, you know, it was the women's movement, it was the civil rights movement, and uh, the, uh, the, the focus on ecology was, was really happening. And this was kind of a tipping point, you know, um, in a kind of a strange way, because the fire last, lasted about a half hour. It didn't even make the front page of the Cleveland papers. It made, um, like, page 15 of the papers. Uh, but it was because of Mayor Stokes, uh, who was a national figure. He was, uh, I guess, the first black mayor, one of the first black mayors of a major uh, city. Uh, the, uh, the, the topic uh, was raised. It became into the, uh, the consciousness uh, of the public. And, uh, you know, I, um, well, we can get to this later, but, I mean, I, I remember uh, hearing of the Randy Newman song should we go into this, or you want to separate it, or? No, no, no. I yeah. I mean, if you want, yeah, let's connect it, and I'll I'll jump in if I have something. But yeah, okay. d because I love to hear. I mean, what I hear, where I hear you going, is kind of like you making your own personal connections to this story as well. Well, absolutely. I mean, let's see. Sixty nine. I was um, I was fifteen, and I had not heard about the river exploding. I was in New York. And again, it it was no, it was a at first it was a minor story, and uh, so fast forward a couple of years, and uh, I'm a big music fan and a big fan of Randy Newman's, and he had a song called "Burn On," and uh, I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, this is kind of crazy that a river would catch fire. How how crazy is that? It just captured my imagination. Fast forward a half a century. And I'm trying to write, you know, picture books. And, uh, you know, the environment's a huge topic now. And I, I thought about um, this event. And I thought that it would be, um, you know, as interesting to, to kids uh, today as, as it was to me years ago. And so, um, so that's my personal connection. Uh, and as with all my books, uh, you know, adults say to me, I never heard about that. That's really weird. I mean, this is adults. And uh, so I, I hope that, you know, both adults and, uh, and kids will, will uh, you know, will ride the interest, will ride the, um, the absurdness of, of a river catching fire. It, it was a story that I had not heard about. Uh, admittedly, and it's funny that you mentioned that so many adults hadn't heard about it or haven't heard about it. I was sitting, not kidding you, just last week, 
with my second grade team. We were just having lunch, and I don't even know how it came up, but one of our second grade teachers specifically mentioned this event. She did not know about your book. It was just a mention, and I had to stop her and ask her to repeat what she had just said, and I said, I've, I know someone who just wrote a children's book about that. I ran back into the library, grabbed the book, shared it oh, with wow. her. Um, she's got it, you know, reading it with her students. And so that's certainly one entry point. But I think the, the one of the things that I love about this is how accessible this really is to younger readers. I mean, this was a second grade group, but I think you could easily read this to a first grade group. And, and yeah. not only the text of the book, but the illustrations are very elementary friendly, uh, which, well, which makes it, gives it a, another layer of appeal. Well, was, was this, uh, this teacher uh, from the area, from Ohio or from the Midwest? Or? She, uh, she's, mid, she's got mid, a lot of Midwest connections, and I think she's just well-versed, and, and mm-hmm. somehow she had picked that up. The and, older? And what, Is she in her 60s or so? No. No, huh? my age. Well. So she's she's she may be an anomaly. Well, I'm glad that she was aware of it. You know, I mean, most people are not. The illustrations are wonderful. You know, and I think you know they they're inviting. You know, it's um, they're very child friendly. They 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 feel very safe. You know, I mean, it's a very you know complicated you know existential story. You know. And uh, she has such humor, you know, in in her in her illustrations. I mean, she's, you know, done. It's Jesse Hartland, right? Yeah, I mean, she's done, you know, a good amount of books, and they're. Um, I mean, I love her style, you know, and I would love to, you know, work with her. I mean, she's so inventive, you know, and she will take the text and, uh, as great illustrators, you know, will do, and. Uh, you know, kind of run with it and uh, yeah add levels and layers what happens is that the uh, the product is more than the sum of two parts it just kind of explodes I keep saying explodes you know maybe I've been reading this you you you're really there's like the 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 connections I feel like this is intentional I don't, I don't know you you're gonna act like it's not but I feel like it's intentional I feel what? like you've got like explodes it I feel like you've got a post-it note of these words that you just want to weave in, uh, that you've, you're just checking off maybe, as we maybe go I'm along. Thinking, maybe my life is exploding in front of me. I just kind of... Yeah. Well, I've got, I've got something I want to weave in, and that is really getting into the element of primary sources and the research that happens along when you're, when you're working on a historically-based picture book like this. Can you share a little bit about primary sources and, and what you came upon in your research of this story? Well, um, there's a lot to tell. I knew nothing about uh, the background of this event. And so, um, you know, that's, I mean, I love, I love research. I love researching, you know, what the topic is. It, uh, I'm learning what's going on. Um, well, I found um, a book where the river burned, uh, Carl Stokes on the struggle to save Cleveland uh, by uh, a professor, uh, Strandling, at the University of Cincinnati. So I uh, emailed him and then I spoke to him. And um, 
the whole book and you know is kind of larger than just uh, what happened to the fire. It's the role of Mayor Stokes. So I learned a lot about you know the politics of the time. I mean, I had no connect. I had no understanding of uh, how it connected, how this connected to Earth Day. I mean, I was really I knew nothing. You know, as with Place to Land, I knew nothing really about uh, the March on Washington. And so it's uh, a journey to educate myself. And, and the professor uh, also turned me on to a, um, the name of a uh, reporter for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, who uh, name is, I think it's Betsy Clara, K-L-A-R-I-C, who has passed away. But she, uh, and there ought to be a picture book about her. She's considered one of the, the first um, a journalist to focus on uh, the, the environment. Uh, Stokes uh, is a fascinating character. Um, he saw uh, pollution uh, as a, um, not, not an isolated event, but you know, in terms of poverty, in terms of uh, economics, in terms of racism, he, he kind of put the whole thing together. Um, so that was, that was one thing uh, with uh, uh, the professor. Um, my editor was very, um, very uh, wanted to know the names of the Indian tribes that were there. She wasn't happy with just, you know, Native Americans, that term, or another. She wanted specific names. And so I had to call up um, a professor at Purdue, uh, Professor Hurt, H U R T. Department of History, and uh, we spoke about, and we also emailed, about the specific names of the tribes. The problem is that, you know, prior to, let's say, 1800, I mean, how far does one want to go back to, you know, understand how many tribes were there? I mean, over, like, the whole history of that region, the tribes came tribes went, tribes combined, the Senecas, the, the Mohawks. Um, so, it, you know, it was difficult to kind of pin down exactly, you know, to be respectful of, of the people who lived in this area and to be accurate. So that was, uh, that was Professor Hurt. Ironically, my college roommate was from Cleveland, is from Cleveland. And I hadn't seen him uh, since the early 70s. And we, we reconnected a couple of years ago while I was writing this. And so uh, he wrote me a long letter about his own experiences on the river. So it's interesting, you know, where primary sources, you know, come from. So, so let me ask you then, I mean, you've got all these great um, experts that you're tapping into. They're tapping into primary sources. You've got newspaper articles you're talking about. You've got this firsthand account uh, that, that happens to be a friend of yours. How do these stories ultimately, not just stories, but, but facts and, and all of this information, how does this ultimately impact this, the story that you end up telling in The Day the River Caught Fire? Well... In general, you don't know. You know, in general, you uh, like the uh, the uh, the reporter Betsy Claric. Uh, very interesting to read her reports, but there wasn't anything that I didn't already know. So that was kind of like, you know, you pull on the string, you know, and you see you see what unravels. 
um, you know, you, you, don't, you don't know where the primary source, sources or the secondary sources will take you. You know, I was thinking about, um, this is a kind of a tangential point, but, you know, the, the uh, explosion, I'm going to keep using these words, the explosion of interest in nonfiction uh, material. Do you think that, I'm going to ask you a question, do you think that coincides with the, with the, uh, with the Internet, with the growth of the Internet? Because information is so accessible. I mean, if I had written this 20 years ago or 30 years ago, how would I, would I, I have had to go to Cleveland? So you're speaking more from the, the author's point of view, like is the accessibility of information and the ability to get in touch with these experts um, make it more likely that an author is going to write kind of this rich piece of, of yeah. children's nonfiction? It's a really interesting question that I've nev never really thought about. Uh, this seems like you know, we need an author panel here that, that could really tackle that kind of thing. But it's a really great question because even as, as, as I go in and research little piece, nonfiction, you know, related pieces for whatever I might doing with either with students or for myself, certainly um, the access to this information is uh, greater than it's ever been. And, and even the work that, that I've done, Barry, with trying to connect your book and, and, and your books, really, and other uh, nonfiction authors' books to primary sources that are out there so that teachers can use these with their students in, in engaging ways and, and kind of build a, a learning experience, Those, that, that type of work wouldn't have been available to do 10 years ago because the access to those sources wouldn't nearly have been as simple as it is now. Right. I mean, I'm pretty confident that uh, there is an intersection between, you know, the golden age of um, this current golden age of, of picture books and and the growth of nonfiction picture books, and uh, and the accessibility, uh, you know, of the internet and the growth of the internet. Because I was thinking, how would I have written this, x number of years ago? I mean, I would have gone to the New York Public Library, the main library, would have looked at the the microfilm, the microfiche, whatever it was, and you know, it would have been very time-consuming, very, very time-consuming. So I just wanted to, uh, to to throw that out there. I mean, there's there's so much information. One one part of this is, uh, and here's here's Jesse's. Um, mm -hmm. So Time Magazine. You know who that is on the cover, by the way. I'm pulling up the page in front of me. Oh, actually, she wrote she wrote her name. She wrote the person's name. Well, that w that's Ted Kennedy, and the event was Chappaquiddick, where he he uh, had the car accident where a young lady, uh, Mary Jo Kopechny, drowned, and uh, he had a, you know, he was his political career was on the line, so it was a very kind of popular, a very um, uh, attention-getting cover and event. Buried in, again, in the back of the, of the magazine was the article about the river. So uh, some have, you know, speculated that, you know, because uh, this, uh, this issue was so popular that even more people found out about, about the river. So that's kind of interesting because I remember when, when that happened with uh, 
Ted Kennedy. Um, but your question was how, how do these uh, primary sources uh, uh, evolve into, or change my perspective on the story or impact the yeah, story? Yeah, just how they help shape the book. You know, I'd love to say, well, when I spoke to X, you know, X, you know, told me this and that and that and that. And that. It, it, re it, really, um, it really was David Stradling's book, the, the professor at the University of Cincinnati, who, uh, who along with his brother, wrote, wrote the book that really uh, detailed uh, the context of the fire and, um, and the role of Mayor Stokes. And there should be a, a biography about Mayor Stokes as well. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it's, as with all these books uh, that I write, it's information here that leads to there, that leads to there, that leads to there. Let me ask you a question then about these little pieces of, of information. And I'm wondering if there was, uh, you know, a, a primary source or one of these little pieces of information. And of course, you know, when you talk about the, the book that you that you referenced, those are that's that I'm sure is is just has primary source references just yes. throughout. Yes. I'm just wondering if there was this little piece of information that was surprising to you or unexpected or maybe changed your thinking uh, around this story because there's always seems like I, there's sometimes you know that that one little piece where you're just caught off guard a little bit you know you, you come in with this as you mentioned this inspiration from um and and historical reference from your own knowledge of of you know this song and maybe a little bit of background knowledge but as you dug deeper was there's, there's this piece that kind of um was a little unexpected for you well the unexpected part was how it related to uh, Earth Day. You know, each each part of the story was, uh, you know, was unexpected to me. Was was unexpected. There there wasn't one major thing that kind of you know blew my mind. It was, you know, the actual the the story that the fire took thirty minutes to put out, and that no one really cared. And that's why I wrote, you know, ho hum in the book because no one no one cared you know its relationship to earth day uh, the fact that uh there were many other rivers you know in the united states the fact that uh earlier that year there there had been a huge oil spill in santa barbara california in fact i think there's a recent book out that attributes um the beginnings of earth day you know with that event a little bit of a stretch but I didn't know a lot. I'm sorry, Tom. I'm sorry if no. I'm... No. Well, you know. Barry, I mean, here's the beauty of it is that you bring in not only what the the piece that you did know, but all of that research, and, and this comes together in a really beautiful book. One of the things, and I know I kind of mentioned before we started recording, the structure of this that I really found to be appealing is you really spend about the first half of the book or so talking about this fire but then you really do this wonderful job of transitioning into the broader picture of what's going on in the country and into the what ends up being um the first earth day in uh 1970 and then you of course bring it back 
to the Cuyahoga River at the end and kind of bring us back to or bring us to modern times. So the journey that you bring the reader on, um, regardless of what journey you took to get there, is is a great one. Well, I'll tell you something. When I was, you know, uh, learning how to write picture books, I was always I was always told, you know, it's like an arrow. Your story, your narrative is like an arrow, you know, beginning, middle, and end. And um, I kind of learned along the way that that doesn't necessarily have to be the format. You know, so the front part of the book is kind of like a teaser, you know. Um, and you'll see this in TV and movies also. You'll see the murder, you know, you'll see the bank robbery, you know. And then you go back and you kind of, you know, work your way up to that event again. And you, and you do that just to, just to illustrate what you're talking about here. You do that. The first page turn, after the first page turn, that river is on fire. And then you do exactly what you said. You go back and, and you, you lay the scene out for how that ended up happening and, and how people reacted to it. Exactly what we've been talking about today. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, when, when I saw that first, the first page and then that first page turn, um, I did. I thought of exactly what you just mentioned, which is when you see that in like a television program or a movie where they tease it and then they bring right. you back and explain it. It was it, it draws uh, drew me in right away. Well, I'll tell you something interesting. I had two versions of this uh, of this story. Uh, one did not have the ho hums and uh, kabooms and one did. And uh, one of the uh, editors who I've worked with did not like the kabooms and the ho hums wanted a more serious rendering of, of this event. And so I was kind of confused, you know, uh, at that time. How do I pitch this thing? Is this, uh, but I guess there was more um, positive feedback about the, the lightheartedness of some of the language. And, you know, kids will respond to kaboom and, and ho-hums. And, uh, so that's the one I went to. I also want to say that um, I think of this almost as two books. Uh, one is the the story of the river and uh, how it got clean. But I didn't want to write a uh, an author's note that was just exactly that. The river was dirty. We cleaned it up. Now you can go fishing in it, and et cetera, et cetera. I really you know, wanted to change the tone. And the, the author's note really has a different tone than, than, uh, than the story. And uh, I wanted the author's note to be kind of, you know, to kind of grab you and say, you know, kind of like if you're still alive, I forget how I said it, but something like that. You know, if the earth is still living, you know, you have a chance to make a change. And what are you going to do? And uh, I've never done that you know, in my other books. Uh, I, I felt it was, listen, I think we're all frustrated by, you know, about how uh, the uh, global warming, cli climate change is going to kind of affect us in major, major ways as it is already. And, uh, you no, know, as an educator, as, as, as a writer, you know, you wonder how, how to kind of, affect change, how to, how to, you know, move the, 
the, the, the narrative forward? How to, you know, get beyond this? I mean, is it education? Is it, um, I don't know what it is. You know, I don't know. I guess it's education. I mean, if, if the kids today, you know, are aware of, um, of the crisis that's happening, and I'm sure, you know, in fact, let me ask you, what, what age group do you think kids are now uh, uh, aware of global warming and climate change? Is it first grade? Well, I certainly think by first grade they're certainly aware of environmental issues that are going on. The scope of their awareness probably is, is up for talk, but, but definitely yeah. at a young age, yeah. yeah. So bringing, bringing this type of book then to their this type of story excuse me to their attention in the way that you brought it i think is what is one of many layers of uh appeal that i think the the readers and the educators are going to find uh with this book barry i i want to thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the day the river caught fire, how the Cuyahoga River exploded and ignited the Earth Day movement. Barry, thanks so much for joining us on okay. the Primary Source podcast. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it.